Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Great time? <laughs> okay. Uh, that's great. Well, uh, there are many things that we can be thankful for. And uh, I want to go right into the, the series that we're dealing with right now called uh, Marriage and Sexuality. Uh, Pastor Matt and I have been talking about this for a few weeks now and trying to address things according to the scriptures. What does this scripture have to say about marriage and sexuality? And, and is it different than the way that we think or consider uh, these matters? And uh, it's been very encouraging to be able to go, this is what the word says uh, and not what I have. This isn't my opinion. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It matters what God's word is. And so We've, we've, I think I can say it this way, have had a good time talking about these matters, knowing that it's God's word that we're leaning into and not our own opinions. And so one of the things that we began with in this series was an illustration. Do you remember the illustration that Matt uh, copied last week? And <clears throat> I'm just kidding. He did, though. But... Um, <laughs> The illustration was that of a fireplace. And remember we said you can start a fire in your living room, and if it's in a fireplace, that's a wonderful thing. If it's outside of the fireplace, say in the, in the middle of your floor, that's a bad thing. And it can burn your house down. And we said that uh, God has a plan in terms of our sexuality. And we referred to that as holy sexuality. In other words, that God has a plan for our sexuality and it exists in the framework that is holy and is good. And marriage is a part of that. We, we talked about that and we recognize that that fire of sexuality placed in this holy place that God has given us actually is beautiful. It's warm, it's life-giving and affirming, but outside of that, it, it can burn the house down. In addressing that, we realize something, that all of us have had embers that have come outside of the fireplace and we've been burned by. And maybe in your own world, you feel a little bit this way. Maybe in your world, you, you feel like, yeah, I've, I've been burned by that and it's destroyed my life. And that's maybe manifested in a variety of ways. Perhaps it's manifested in sex outside of marriage, or maybe it's been in pornography or abortion, but these embers that God has intended for a fireplace for safety, warmth, and life has come outside of that. And those embers have burned us and perhaps even burned our homes down. But here's the beautiful thing about God. God still is willing that we would have life and despite the fact that we may have this sort of experience because of a living outside of holy sexuality, God has an ability, I want to say the power, to bring us to that, to restore us to the way that it's supposed to be. And I want to suggest today that there are some lies that some of us have accepted and that those lies that we've accepted has made us to live and a place that is burning down. But God has something better for all who would trust him, for those who would call on his name. He's given us an ability to go back to this place, despite what has happened. I recognize that in the moments to come, as we begin to talk through some things, it is possible 
that you're going to feel like there has been a spiritual wound that is the scab has been pulled off. And it's tender again, and it hurts. I hope that that is not the case. That is not the intention. The intention, however, is to clean that wound and experience some healing, perhaps even today. If you would be willing to just join me in a moment of prayer, I want to pray for God's word that it would have an impact despite what has happened in our past, despite any sort of fires that have set blaze in our homes. I want to pray for God's word to have power and authority in our lives. Not just that, but I also want to pray for you, that God would have his way in your heart. Whatever that next step of faith is, we would experience that individually and corporately together. You good with that? Too bad, that's what we're doing. Let's pray. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, we love you, and we celebrate you today. We thank you because you are good all the time. And Lord, even as we come together today, On the heels of thanksgiving, we are thankful that despite the fact that there have been times in our lives and in our world where we have taken that fire outside of the fireplace and we've played with it in the living room and we've been burned by it, despite that fact, you have a way of returning us to the place that we're supposed to be. That you have a way of healing, of fixing, of cleaning old wounds, and applying your healing balm. And so, Lord, today we we would ask for that. We would ask for return. We would ask for holiness and for healing. We are ultimately asking for you, Jesus, present in our lives, leading us and directing us for your good glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to change the metaphor up just a little bit, remembering this, and we will refer to it from time to time, but I want to change the metaphor up just a little bit. For those of you who have ever done any walking uh, out in barren places where there are no trees, you will recognize the truth of this statement. People can't walk a straight line. We just can't do it. In and of ourselves, we have this tendency to veer off no matter what. We'll start to walk a path. We're like, oh, okay, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk to the west. And as we're walking to the west, whatever direction, pick your direction. As we're walking, we inevitably start to veer off. It's just the way that we are. It, you especially can see it if you're on a beach or in the sand in a desert place. You can turn around and look back and be like, was I drinking? What, what just happened there? I don't know what happened. Uh, because that is not a straight path. You recognize that we have these tendencies to veer off, and sometimes we might even look down at our feet and like, okay, I'm just making every step straight, and again, you look back, and you did not make every step straight. In and of ourselves, we veer off path. That's just the way that we are, but there is a fix. And so for those of you perhaps who have navigated out on your own in barren places, you recognize that one of the ways you can fix that is by finding something in the distance, an object in the distance, in the direction that you want to go and to walk towards the object. And as long as you have your eyes fixed on that object, you'll walk in that direction. Uh, as long as you keep looking. Now, you, you may from time to time start looking down and get lost in your thoughts and look up and Where is that? Oh, that object is way over there. I need to change. And you fix it. 
So we focus our attention on an object. I want to suggest to you today that as we try to walk from a place where we've been burned to a place of healing, of comfort, of life, that God would have us walk to him. That it is, in fact, Jesus that we're seeking. Hebrews 12, 2 says it this way. Looking to Jesus, or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, some things start to occur. One, we walk a path that's a little more direct, but we also recognize that we're on a journey. It's interesting, and I think important, that we recognize we are on a journey. Jesus, in fact, when he's calling his disciples from the very beginning, he uses terms that remind them that you're, you're actually on a journey. Some of the earliest disciples in following Jesus, this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they're following him at the beginning of John, and they go, hey, where do you live? And Jesus could have said, I'm over at Uncle Mordecai's house. Could have said that. But he doesn't. Only what he says is, come and see. Come and see. Experience it. Come on this journey with me. Walk with me in this place. And you'll see. He calls out to his disciples, come follow me. It's a journey. We're walking this path together. He says it this way to his disciples as, as he ascends to heaven. He says, go make disciples. There's this emphasis on going. We are on a journey, friends. And our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Because if they're not, we'll tend to walk away. We'll get lost. We'll stray off our path. And we won't find ourselves in a place of healing, but in a place where we're continually burning the house down. Now, I want to suggest that there are three lies. There are perhaps more than that, but there are three primary lies that we're going to address today that I think are going to help us to shift our eyes back onto Jesus and to walk into a place of healing. Because as we have been talking about holy sexuality with respect to marriage and sexuality, I recognize that all of us have probably been wounded to some degree. Why would I say that? Well, I say that for a variety of reasons. One of those reasons, the average age of a child today who is introduced to pornography is 11. That's the average age. I would suggest that the numbers of people who have been sexually abused and who are abusers is somewhere around 25% known. What I'm saying is this. That just from those two statistics, we recognize that we have great impact. When we start to look at further statistics that identify that those who are online, men, and these are old statistics, men, about 90% have been engaged in pornography on some sort of regular basis. Women, 30% on some sort of regular basis. What I'm saying is that this fire that was intended for holy sexuality, the fireplace of God, has been taken outside of it by our culture, and we've been burned by it. So we need some healing. And this pathway, I believe, will help get us there when we recognize these lies and walk towards Christ. I'm going to identify those three lies, and then we're going to start writing them up on this board and walk through them one at a time together. Here is the first one. I am condemned. 
The first lie that is often believed is I am condemned. There's no way out. I'm stuck in this and I'm condemned. The next one is I can't control my thoughts. I'm reliving these things over and over and over again to the point that I have uh, uh, emphasized in my own life and I believe that that sin defines who I am, the way that I am. And the final one that we're going to address today is I am unclean or I am dirty. And we're going to talk a little bit more detail about that. So let's jump in and address I am condemned. I'm going to write this on the board and I have to tell you something. It happened in the first service and made me laugh. And so I need to tell you. And that is this, that on both sides of my family, they're shakers. I don't mean that that's their religious practice, the old time shakers. I mean that their hands wobble. It was one of the reasons that I learned to memorize things is so that I didn't do this in front of you. So why am I telling you that? I've had a lot of coffee today. (laughs) I'm about to ride on a board. That's why. Okay, now you know. Three lies. Here's the first one. You got to push hard or you'll shake. I am condemned. I am condemned. It happens often when we start to think about the sin that has occurred in our lives. And I got to say that your sin, no matter how small or how big, my sin, no matter how small or how big, put our Savior on the cross. I am guilty of that, and you are guilty of that. We are all guilty of that. Not justifying it, simply saying That's the reality. That sounds like condemnation, right? Because the reality is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is a separation because of that. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures tell us. So that feels like condemnation, perhaps. And we can lean into that and even embrace that as if to say that my sin is greater than the sacrifice that Jesus gave. And that is a lie. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to follow along with me. Many of the scriptures we'll be dealing with are up on, will be up in the screens. Some of them will not be. This is one that is, if we can go there, yep, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. You think you're condemned? Well, let's see what the Word has to say about it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's nice to focus on the no condemnation part, but let me encourage you to focus on for those who are in Christ Jesus. What am I saying? I'm saying that condemnation does exist for those who are not in Christ Jesus. In other words, that surrendering to Christ as my Savior puts me in a category not based on my works, but on his works, that there is no condemnation. I am reminded that as I'm walking this journey, that it is a journey, that this world is temporal, that these things are leaving, and that God has something better in store for me. And as I'm walking, I don't have to be bogged down by the temporal condemnation of this world, but rather walk in the freedom that is found in Christ. I am not condemned. I am set free. There is therefore now no condemnation 
For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sin, sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What is he saying? That Jesus paid a price, that he paid it in full, and that those who trust in him and walk in him on this journey, there is no condemnation. You are set free. And if the word says it, I know it's true. And if it's true, we can live that out, no matter how hard it it may seem in the moment. Jesus himself is on the cross in John chapter 19. What does he say? It is finished. The root of the idea of the term is it's paid in full. It's done. So if you're living the lie that says, I am condemned, this is who I am, I live in this place, that's how I've always been, I want to tell you there is freedom out of it. But you're going to have to focus your eyes on Jesus. You're going to have to walk towards him and in him. And there is freedom. The next one is a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder, and here it is. Two. I can't control my mind or thoughts. This is pretty important. It's actually pretty significant. Uh, one that we sometimes overlook for a variety of reasons we can overlook it, but I'll tell you the amount of people that I speak to that say things like this. I relive that sin in my mind multiple times every day. I constantly go back to that wound And especially as we're talking about holy sexuality, the imprint that sexuality has on our lives is very significant and it is deep. And if that imprint is a wound, watch out. Because we have this tendency of reliving it and starting to believe it. That's who I am. And I can't get away from it because I just keep thinking about it. And I keep thinking about it. But how many of you know that if God's word says something, we know that that is true. And so if God's word is true, but we're not living it, we have to ask some additional questions. One of those things I would suggest is that perhaps some more discipleship needs to occur. So if God's word says something, but I'm not living it, I may not understand it. It it could be that there's just a better explanation that needs to be done. It could be that there needs more commitment to the truth or reality of that, uh, that situation. But more discipleship perhaps is needed. This may be one of those areas. It's one of the areas that the early disciples focused on in a variety of ways. Certainly we see it in the Didache, uh, an early teaching from the disciples. 
But I want to identify a few passages. These, the first two are not up on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get ready to get there. If you don't have your Bible with you, just have a pen and paper. You might want to jot these down and come back to them a little bit later. So lie number two, I can't control my thoughts. Well, let's, let's put that in view of the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. For though we walk in the flesh, meaning that we, we literally have flesh on our bones, right? We walk around in it. We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a part of this walk that we have, we have the ability We have the strength, we have the courage, we have the power to control our thoughts, that we take those thoughts captive. It's not a matter of reliving this over and over again, but rather taking those thoughts captive and putting them in the context that they need to be put in. And again, we'll have people who will say things like, I can't get past it, I can't get past it, they're living in it. Okay, but what do you do? Well, Again, let's look at the full view of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 as an example. Again, this won't be up on the screen, but I want to encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. How, how do we deal with that? Oh, I just keep thinking about it. Well, Paul tells us something. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What's he telling us? There is something about our brain that matters, something about our thought patterns that matter. And instead of being stuck in the sin pattern and focused on the sin, the things that we keep doing that, that have become things that define us, Paul is telling us something different. First of all, you you can take those thoughts captive. Second of all, you need to think on the whatevers. The whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise. But why? Well, this passage is up there. It's Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And musical worship is important, absolutely. But our lives, that's the real worship. What we do with these icons, these images of God, what we do with those, that's what matters. That is our act of worship, my attitudes and actions. So, so how do we get there? Well, he clarifies in the next verse. He says this, Do not be conformed to this world, or those patterns, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, from 1 John chapter 2, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, he could have said a lot of things there, but he says the renewal of your mind. There's something that is spiritual with your mind that needs to change. He's identified that. Take those thoughts captive. Remember those things that are worthy of praise and think about those 
and allow your mind to be transformed, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we're called to this pattern. Why? Because our thoughts translate into actions. Perhaps that's part of it. That somehow we are more able to see clearly this Jesus who's in front of us, who we say we want to follow, when we change the way that we think, when we change the way that we view, when we change the way that we look at things. I want to take you to another place. Moses has been leading the children of Israel. He leads them out of slavery and towards the promised land. As he's leading them, they find themselves in sin and they wonder for 40 years. And there is this push back and forth. It's not like Moses had a smooth walk with the children of Israel as they walked through the wilderness. It was difficult. There were times when uh, all they had was this manna. What is it? I don't know, just eat it. Uh, when they have quail, uh, it's getting boring after a while. They just have water. And the children of Israel are like, oh man, this is horrible. Why can't we have the cucumbers and the leeks and all the great food of Egypt? Oh, you mean where you were slaves? Uh, no, thank you. But there's always this, there seems to be often this constant push with Moses and the children of Israel, but ultimately they're following him. Moses dies, they're about to go into the promised land, and a new leader emerges, number two, the, the guy who's kind of second in command, the guy who's following Moses around all these years, his name's Joshua, <laughs> and he's not Moses. And his pathway is a little bit different. His actions are a little bit different. He's a lot younger than Moses. How will the children of Israel respond to him? And you can imagine some of the concerns that he may have as he's going into this promised land where they identify these giants that are in the land. Oh boy. God, what should I do? I know. Wake up early and train your military so that you can go in there and be effective. That seems reasonable. But what does God tell Joshua? Well, this is what he says. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. In other words, he leads with my word, meditate on it, think about it, verbalize it. You're, you're meditating on it. Yeah, God will never, uh, I, verse 9 uh, have I not commanded thee, be strong and have a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And he, he's memorizing God's word and speaking God's word. He's meditating on it. God could have started from anywhere. It could have told him to wake up early and train. He says, no, day and night, this needs to be on your mind. And that other stuff's going to fall into place. It's going to work itself out. But we want you to start with meditate on it because you're, and there is something spiritual connected to your mind that is transformational in Christ Jesus. And that practice is seen even in the Old Testament. Or how about from Psalm 119.11? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, memorizing the word and holding it in our heart in a meditative sort of way 
allows us to live a life that honors God, that keeps our attention on him and focused. There is a lie, and that lie is you can't control your thoughts, you can't control your mind. That stuff's just kind of going through. No, you can. In fact, you're called to, taking every thought captive to obey Christ, to thinking thoughts that are worthy of praise, of meditating on God's word and living it out as an act of worship allowing the transformation to occur. And then there is a third lie that we often embrace. This third lie uh, comes in a variety of ways we'll talk about as we go through it. But the third lie is that I am unclean or dirty. I've mentioned that some of us have been impacted because of sexual sin. Whether that is premarital sex, whether that is abuse, whether that is pornography, whether that is same-sex attraction, whatever, whatever that is that exists outside of holy sexuality, there is shame often associated with it, and it's really hard to let that go. And we see that manifest, and I'm speaking outside of my area of, of expertise. I am just speaking observationally at this moment. But oftentimes, I'll hear people come in, and they'll say things like, oh, I, I just have to clean all the time. I, need, I have this need to control and to clean things or to shower so often. I just feel dirty all the time. And as we start to parse that and break it down, we start to see this reality of, I'm, I'm unclean, I'm dirty. Things have happened to me, and I've also uh, hurt others. And I'm dirty, and I can't get clean enough. And I want to say, you're right. You can't. In and of yourself. You can't, and you won't. And you can clean your house from floor to ceiling. Uh, you can repaint it. You can take 100 showers a day, and it won't touch your soul. But I do want to tell you that there is a cleansing that is available for those who are in Christ. And it's only found in Christ. It's not, uh, it's not accessible outside of Jesus himself. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for a moment. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1. As you're turning to 1 John chapter 1, again, uh, it's, it's important for us to identify God's work versus my work. <clears throat> so we come to God. John tells us, he says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So a few things that happen there. First of all, to confess is to say the same thing. We're saying what God already knows. A friend of mine talks about how sin grows in the darkness. Men, in January is a men's retreat. I want to encourage you to, come, to sign up and be a part of that. You're going to hear a speaker there who's going to talk about, and I'm not going to give all of his story away, but he's going to talk about a 20-year addiction. In this 20-year addiction, 
he almost lost his ministry and his family. And one of the things, one of the pieces that he talks about that gave him victory was taking that which is in the dark and bringing it out into the light. And his words were, it started with a confession to God. Because up to that point, I had this belief that I had it under control. This addiction, I could start, I could stop. I, I own this, condi- uh, this, this addiction. I could do it whenever I wanted, whenever I didn't, and I justified it for over 20 years. But when I confessed it, things changed. And it started with God and trusting God and God's work. And he said this, it was the first time that I was able to say, I am forgiven. Just think of the power of that for a second. For the shame that has been associated with with living in a life that has existed outside of God's plan of holy sexuality, to live that for a season, and and, and all of these times of coming back and going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, maybe if I put tighter controls on, maybe if I talk to somebody, maybe if I use generalities, I'll be okay. But to know every time, oh, I'm dirty, I'm unclean, I'm not doing it the right way. To be able to say for the first time, I am forgiven. My count is zero. I owe nothing because of what Jesus has done was huge. And then the second piece, God cleanses us. I don't mean to be crass, but I'm going to be just a little bit. I hope you hang in there with me through this whole thing. Again, recognizing that it's a bit crass, but I think the word picture is so helpful. And that's this. I'm a dad of seven. That's not the crass part. It's coming. (laughs) We know that being a parent involves some things that are are difficult. My wife, praise the Lord, has, has... primarily been able to work from home. That has been our choice. It's worked out well for, for us. We, we've loved that. There was a day, however, when I walked in the back door and uh, Cindy met me at the back door and said, oh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry I have to go. I love you. Give me a kiss on the cheek. She beat feet. I found out later why. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, this isn't true. Uh, but she did have to leave. I walked in the other room and I could smell my son before I saw him. I could. It was horrendous. He also came waddling around the corner because of the weight of things. And I looked at my watch. Cindy's three hours away. I got to do this. Why did I have to do it? Couldn't I have just said to my son, you stink. Could you go change your diaper, please? It's nasty. And he would have looked at me and thought, oh, no. I mean, he could take his diaper off, but that wasn't helpful at all. <laughs> this is true. But I love my son, and I care about my son. And despite him being pretty gross in that moment, I loved him enough to clean him up. And God does that too. 
we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What I could do in a physical sense, God does even more so in a spiritual sense. And if I can take care of my child that way, how much better is our Heavenly Father who knows our needs and can care for our souls? Starts with confession of getting it out of the darkness and into the light. And it goes to repentance. Now I want to make, I, I want to bring up another point in this. And uh, for those of you who have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16 says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Sometimes we in evangelicalism respond to other faiths to separate ourselves. And so one of the responses that we've had in evangelicalism has been, and, and I think there's a good, good point to this, I have a relationship with God and I can go to him directly. That's good. It's great. But also, the word of God matters. And the word of God has uh, a, something to say about this matter of confession. And it says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. There is something powerful about being able to take that which has been hidden in the darkness and growing in the darkness and expose it to the light. And to say, you need to know, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, I'm confessing something to you. And my sin put my Savior on the cross, and I'm confessing it, and I'm repenting. I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning towards Jesus. I am no longer looking at my feet, but I'm looking up at Christ, and I'm following him, and I'm taking that that's been in the darkness, and I'm taking it and exposing it to the light, and I need you to be a part of it, and I don't understand all of the spiritual ramifications of that, but I know that there are some, and I know that we are a body, and somehow, as a body, in that sort of confession, it gives strength and holiness, and healing that doesn't exist outside of that. But there's a confession that needs to occur. Friends, all of us have been burned because we've lived outside at times of holy sexuality. Or others have lived outside of the boundaries of holy sexuality. And we've been burned by it. But I want to say there's healing and the fact that there is healing reminds us that this world is passing away and all that is within it. And that there is a home that we are walking towards on this journey. And that Jesus himself is coming again and maybe it'll be today. And we have this incredible hope that there is this God who cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Friends, there is hope. And I hope today that you're experiencing that, taking that which is in the darkness, exposing it to the light of walking to Jesus and not looking down at the situation as if somehow it's bigger than our Savior and experiencing the fullness of what God has for us. 
just uh, the worship team's going to be coming out here in just a second. As they're coming out and we're preparing our hearts for communion, I want to give you a resource. And in this resource, you may want to take a picture of it. You, these resources are excellent resources uh, that, that really kind of span this idea of holy sexuality, whether they're, they're talking about matters of same-sex attraction or pornography uh, or, or sex outside of marriage. Uh, these resources will be helpful as you're defining this in your own life and getting victory in your own life. I want to encourage you to confess to the Lord. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith and confess to another brother or sister, guys to guys, ladies to ladies, to confess our sins and watch and see how God heals. With that in mind, it is our regular practice to come together for communion. We do this because the Lord's commanded us to, but also it's a great way to calibrate. To say, am I, am I walking on that path or am I staring at my feet? Am I looking back at this path that I have walked that is not direct and is not straight? Or am I looking forward at Christ, the one who has called me on this journey? Communion has that ability as we consider the first part. Am I a follower of Jesus? If I'm not a follower of Jesus, uh, then if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I have to say, the Lord is offering to you today salvation. That is within your grasp today to call on the name of the Lord. And that somehow, supernaturally, spiritually, God might, might be reaching down for you to call on him right now. It's not a magical moment. It's a step of faith to say, Lord, I trust you. I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me. I can't save myself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, save me. Amen. Something as simple as that might be your first step of faith. Communion is for the believer. For those of you who are believers, you may be saying, yep, I'm a believer, but I've, I've been walking all over the place, and I have definitely not fixed my eyes on Jesus. Today's your day. Communion gives us an opportunity to pause before the Lord and confess any sin, to say what the Lord already knows is true, to repent of that, and to follow him. I want to give you time today to do just that. Uh, in just a, a few moments, the worship team will begin to, to uh, lead us in worship. And at the end of that song, Pastor Jason is going to come forward and lead us in a time of communion. A friendship, you'll notice there are four stations in the room. We want to encourage you to go to the carpeted areas and to go around to the station that's nearest you to get both the bread and the cup, return to your spot, and at the end of this time of worship, uh, Pastor Jason will lead us. Would you join me as we pray? Almighty God, we love you and we need you. We thank you and we praise you. We recognize today, O oh Lord, that we have at times embraced lies believed that as followers of Jesus, we should exist in that place of condemnation. But we celebrate the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We recognize the reality, Lord, that we sometimes get lost in our own brains, thinking thoughts, focusing on the past, on lies that the devil would lead us to. We're not good enough. that our past defines us, but we recognize today that it's Christ who defines us. 
And so, Lord, our eyes are fixed on you. We see the lie that we have believed we are dirty and unclean and can't be rescued, but we have been rescued and we have been made clean. And so, Lord, we confess to you today those things that we have done and those things that we have left undone, those areas that we have taken out of the fireplace that they were intended to be and those times where we have been burned and we have burned others and we confess them to you asking that you would cleanse us in this place in this moment and it's in your son's precious and holy name we pray